Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is MIG. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. and welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Film historian, food and beverage connoisseur, podcaster, and friend. For the first time back in almost a year, the psychotronic man. It's Justin Bishop! Yeah! (laughs) Has it really been that long? Uh, you know what? I actually did look it up. I think you were about two weeks short. Two wow. weeks short what, of, it, of what, it being a full year. What season were we in on that? I believe one? it was season two. I early, say, like early season two. I I think it was the episode Carbon Creek. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh yeah. Is that one yeah. where they time travel as well? It's it's Tapal telling the story of her grandmother. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I get all I get all these weird time timey wimey episodes. <laughs> exactly. Which <laughs> which is part of the reason I had you here. Other than other than that, it's just because I wanted to see your lovely face. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so how you been, man, in uh a year since we've last talked about Star Trek one on one? I mean, let's not pretend we don't talk like <laughs> almost every day. But. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh well, as far as watching Star Trek, I have not kept up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I had to, um, before I watched the, these episodes today, I did have to go on like memory alpha and read a few articles to, cause I wanted to have some backstory. I didn't want to go into it completely blind yeah. uh, because I knew this was like a season uh, premiere. So mm-hmm. it would, you know, those are always big, especially once you're a few seasons in. So I wanted to have a little bit of like background. I still don't know if I understood completely what's going on. Uh, like with the, um, what are the, I don't know the Zindi, the, the Zindis, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I got the gist of it enough enough to where I, I where when I watched this episode I could follow and knew what was going on, you know. Yeah, the uh, you know, and JP and I talked a little bit last week about you know this, especially when it, when it came down to the is this essential viewing, you know, because last week was technically the end of the se- of it was the end of season three, it was the end of the Zindi War. There was a lot to sort of encapsulate in that episode because it was not only just a season long kind of arc full of many two and three part arcs, Mm -hmm. but it's important to note that this is really, it was really Star Trek's first big push towards serialized storytelling. Like season three. Yeah. Season three of Enterprise is really the first real push. I mean, there were always like some reoccurring themes and really reoccurring, you know, plot devices throughout next gen DS. Well, the last like three, like like the last three seasons of DS nine were pretty serialized. If I remember right. Yeah. Getting with the, with the, um, Oh, what's their name? The, um, not the covenant that's halo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) well, the dominion, the dominion war. yeah. Yeah. So, where does that take place? Do you do you know off the top of your head, timeline wise, as far as release dates? As far as as far as release dates, I know DS Nine uh, versus this because well, DS Nine and then Voyager came, so that had to be a good good ways before this, right? Yeah, Deep Space Nine wrapped up uh, late nineties, mid to late nineties, yeah. and then this was you know uh, by the time we're here, we're looking at two thousand three, two thousand four. Yeah, yeah. So we had a few years, uh, not th- not that long though. I mean, five years, yeah. five five six years. Yeah, not too far after that. So they had done a little bit of that, but not like a, well, I guess, I guess those were kind of full season arcs. It's been so many years since I watched them. I can't remember if there were standalone episodes within those or not. I right. And I mean, that out when we get to that on, on I think, I th- computer I think, resume. 
Right. And I think, (laughs) I think Voyager kind of had, you know, the, the catalyst for the show was a creates a thing of like, they're lost and trying to get home. They're lost in space. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, this is, this has been really interesting because not only, and we'll get into a little bit more of this later, but this was kind of Berman and Braga saying like, okay, we're taking a step back. Manny Cotto. Enjoy, enjoy go ahead take the reins and so he's the new showrunner yeah he's the as new of showrunner. Se- as of season three or season four uh as of season four okay so, so starting the, with this episode the final the final season but this right, right, is right. Kind of, this is kind of this is like the last of his writing and then him being you know bumped up to showrunner and well then, so yeah. so like season okay seasons one and two mm-hmm. are not great um it's I mean, that's not, I'm, I'm not, that's not a hot take, but, and I feel like, and this is just me speculating. Cause I, I haven't like looked into this, but I, I feel like maybe because of some of the uh, critical response, maybe to those seasons and maybe even uh, ratings that they had to like, w- they went to that, they, they went to that serialized format as kind of a hail Mary almost like we got to do, do something to shake it up. Kind of thing. seems like it, yeah. yeah. And I think around this time was when stuff like ABC's Lost was getting started. Yeah, where serialized television became like a th- well, it wasn't the norm yet, but it was becoming popular. Yeah, it was yeah. hitting the scene and and uh, you know really making a big you know uh, a big impact on uh, storytelling trends. Um, yeah, and yeah, so Star Trek followed suit, and I think and even in New Trek, uh, you know the stuff that's been pretty much solely streaming on Paramount plus we've seen them taking cues from other things as well. And kind of really listening to the fans because first of all, you're asking your fans to fork out additional money to watch your content as opposed to just watching it on CBS. Uh, So in that they kind of have to make sure that their investment is secure. So they really started listening and, you know, discovery being the first the being the first of the new Trek, it was, is um, fully serialized. Like you right. can't just watch an episode of discovery. Well, but, that's what people expect from TV now though, as right. well, you know? And in addition to that, they also were like, okay, so discovery's here. It's going well. What else do you guys want to see? And, you know, they, you know, they listened to the fans, the studio, both. And, uh, you know, now we've got this thing where you got your nostalgia kickback with Picard, you got yeah. your, your new animation with lower decks. And uh, now, you know, enough people clamored for the return to, you know, good old episodic Star Trek. And they're like, well, you know, we've got these serialized things that are working well, but we hear you on the episodic. What if we do both? And that's where you get Strange New Worlds, which so Strange New Worlds is more um, episodic. It is, it is, the narrative is episodic, but the character arcs are what is serialized. And that is actually really great because now, you know, I I always point to the example of Worf, where Worf in one episode will be like, uh, peace and diplomacy, like the Federation says we should, yes. And then the next episode is like, we should murder them all. Yeah, yeah, just not consistent. Yeah, not super consistent. I do think that you can do a hybrid of serialized and episodic. The X-Files did it for nine seasons. Yeah. You know, where you've got your monster of the week episodes, which is the majority of, of the episodes. People don't think back on X-Files and think of it that way. Cause they think of the alien conspiracy stuff right, and the smoking right. man and all this stuff. Uh, but really 90% of the episodes of the X-Files were monster of the week, but they still kept a, an ongoing narrative, not just season by season, but over the course of the whole series, yeah. um, by peppering in these these uh, the alien conspiracy episodes that all were linked together. And there would sometimes be linking aspects, even in Monster of the Week episodes. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, so that they they you know you didn't forget about it. But this was also that was in the you know mid '90s when serialized television was not really a thing. But right. it does show that you can do a hybrid of the two. Yeah, I think so. And I think they're really, you know, you know, the technology is better. I I dare say even, you know, techniques, be it filmmaking or acting or or anything else. It's all gotten it's all progressed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, You know, saying it's better is more of a a question of taste. It's evolved. It is evolved. It has absolutely evolved. And uh, I think, you know, for you, you know, if you were to dip your toe back in, 
especially with new track, I, you know, I'll, I'll take this time to do my uh, strange new world soapbox and just say, you might want to check out strange new worlds because it's, it has all the, it has all the fun of the sixties, but you know, uh, cohesive characters of mm-hmm. more modern Trek and, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really well, I mean, I'm very interested in discovery. I just haven't had time to watch it. There's too much content it's a, out it's there. It's a commitment. It um, is, is and commitment. there's just too much other stuff out there. And, and same with Picard. Cause I, I grew up, I mean, I watched, you know, the original series on like mm-hmm. sci-fi occasionally, but mm-hmm. I, I became a Trek fan because of next gen. Uh, I mean, I was, I grew up like, you know, in middle school and elementary school, that's what I was watching. And that's why I became a Star Trek fan. So getting to, even though I'd seen some of the other movies before, but, uh, so Picard appeals to me for that reason, for nostalgia purposes. Oh yeah. And it's, Uh, and it's great. The, the times that we get to see him, I mean, Patrick Stewart, legendary actor, aside from Star Trek, is just an amazing, an amazing actor, amazing performer. So it's great to see him on screen. And but when you get those little Picardisms, you know, him having a heart to heart discussion with Will Riker or someone else who is in need of a of a good old pep talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to mention there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of cameos from some familiar faces. Uh, And, you know, that all of that is just, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see. But getting back to Enterprise, this is really an interesting point for a lot of different reasons that we'll get into. Um, But yeah, looking at this, you know, we're coming to a very specific point in not only the narrative of the NX-01, but also the production of Enterprise as a series Mm -hmm. uh, in front of the camera, behind the camera. And uh, and a lot of really, really, really good stuff. But before we dive in deeper, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, and Cosmic Crit. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN Friday on Star Trek Enterprise. The unbelievable. Those are P-51s. Captain Archer is dead. In a battle to destroy history, the future will never be the same. Germany has launched a successful invasion of the United States. Why are you changing history? You're helping the Germans win the war. Why? The world will be yours. And the future will belong to us all. Star Trek Enterprise. Following the events of Zero Hour. Trip and Travis survive the attacks by P-51s on their space bus and arrive back on Enterprise. Temporal Agent Daniels, near death, suddenly appears to Doc Phlox in sickbay. He warns that an alien named Vosk, the leader of a faction of the Temporal Cold War, has altered the future with catastrophic consequences. Enterprise was brought to the mid-20th century to end the Temporal Cold War between several factions, including the Federation. On Earth, Archer escapes from the Germans when American resistance fighters ambush his convoy. Wounded, he is taken to a resistance safe house in Brooklyn. With the Germans controlling the U.S. Eastern Seaboard, it is revealed that the aliens have sworn allegiance to Nazi Germany. Great! They're also providing them with advanced weapons and technology in exchange for material and supplies to build a temporal conduit that will take them back to their own time period. Meanwhile, Silic, the leader of the Suliban Cabal, has boarded Enterprise and manages to steal a space bus to fly to Earth. Trip and Travis are then sent to find Silic along with the space bus. Archer contacts T'Pol using a stolen communicator and is transported back to Enterprise. Before dying, Daniels asks Archer to stop the aliens from using the conduit and becoming even more dangerous. On Earth, the landing party find and destroy the space bus, but are captured and taken in for interrogation. Sucks! And then... UBN Friday on Star Trek Enterprise. I think it's a time machine. Imagine a war where time is a weapon. Where alternate pasts and infinite futures collide where one mistake can annihilate whole worlds. I can erase you from history. The time war is now. Star Trek Enterprise. Reed finds the point of divergence in the timeline. The 1916 murder of Lennon, where witnesses claimed Lennon's killer vanished into thin air, which prevents the October Revolution from successfully taking place, 
which causes Hitler to disregard Russia as a threat, which causes the Nazis to focus on Western Europe and the United States. I don't care! Vosk seeks an alliance with Enterprise, releasing Trip and Travis in hopes of forging a new understanding with Archer. Medical scans soon reveal that Trip is actually Silic in disguise. Silic and Archer realize they need each other's help. They enlist the help of the Resistance to destroy the aliens' shields of the complex and to help rescue the real Trip. Before they can complete the mission, Silic is killed by a guard near the conduit, and Archer is almost shot by a confused Trip. With the shields down, Enterprise then completes an atmospheric entry, flying over New York City and destroying the alien facility with photon torpedoes. And there was much rejoicing. The episode ends with Daniels showing Archer the threads of the timeline resetting themselves back to normal, as the temporal Cold War finally ends with the death of Vosk. Archer demands that Daniels should never visit or bother Enterprise again. With their mission completed, Enterprise finally arrives back in its proper time period, where the ship is escorted home by a mixed fleet of Starfleet and alien vessels. Well, so upon uh, you you seeing this episode for this wasn't your first viewing you've seen it before right or well, am this, I mistake this episode yeah yeah have you did you watch Enterprise before I can't remember no no I didn't watch Enterprise okay. when it originally aired so these are all pretty new to me Enterprise by the time Enterprise was on I was in college and I was not not interested in it because it didn't look very good and uh, mm. like the reviews that I don't know it I wasn't watching a lot of like any of that UPN stuff mm. you know no, yeah uh, yeah I, that's when i was like really coming into my own as like a, a real true like movie nerd uh so ah, most gotcha. of my most of my energy <laughs> went towards that or honestly television wise towards lost and alias and yeah the hbo sopranos. hbo had a yeah. slew of great the sopranos deadwood yeah you know, yeah stuff yeah so uh i wasn't really into trek at that time i kind of i kind of gave up not gave up but i kind of lost interest i guess in star trek uh somewhere th- in the middle of Voyager's run, because I don't think I ever finished Voyager's run gotcha. that I can recall. So, uh, you know, even though I still watch the movies and stuff, but yeah, well, I know that they uh, they took uh, some different steps, and I believe these episodes are the first uh, are the first episodes of the franchise that were shot digitally instead yeah. of on traditional film stock. What did you think about the look of these of these episodes? Because you know. Uh, special effects wise enterprise has always been um i would say above par uh, yeah yeah with the times but we get some really interesting shots in in these two episodes what did you what did you think of the look well it depends on on the scene there are I, i've never loved the cinematography of enterprise mm. um especially on the enterprise there's this weird fuzziness to it mm. i don't know how best to describe it other than it, it feels like somebody's shooting um it to look like a glamour shots kind of thing that like glow that you get on a glamour shots kind okay. of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've, I've always thought that was really ugly and there are still scenes in this that you see that, but they're all on the enterprise, like on the ship, hmm. but the stuff that's in on earth uh, doesn't look that way in, in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and I do think they look better. I think the special effects are generally really good. The, um, Especially like the the dog fights with the uh, with the airplanes, like the the image of the towards the end of the uh, the Enterprise swooping down and blasting Nazi uh, airplanes is pretty cool. I yeah, mean, and, and yeah. it definitely looks like <laughs> two thousand four technology CGI, you know. But for it to be two thousand four technology CGI on a syndicated UPN show is pretty good. Uh, the it's the exception is the. Um, the guy, the the uh, what's his name? Slick, Slick. yeah, Slick. Uh, yeah. yeah, the uh, the rubber man with the pock marks. Um, yeah. <laughs> the anytime that he's doing his little rubber man twisty thing, yeah. it looks really very bad. <laughs> like, and, yeah, and I think I've said this a couple times on uh, Cinema Shock, uh, our other show, which we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But you know, in terms of comic book movies, I'm a big comic book movie guy you know that mm-hmm. um when it comes to the fantastic four it's always you know i you can sell me on ben Grimm and susan storm and johnny storm 
Um, but Reed Richards is always going to look silly. It's always going to look silly because that's something that, that that works well on as a drawing. But once yeah. you see it in motion, it looks really goofy. Yeah. And yeah. it's really hard to disconnect and, and think that that looks remotely realistic or well, yeah i mean yeah. even and and i think that even marvel's learned that a little a little bit um i don't want to spoil any recent marvel stuff but right <laughs> uh I, I but i am watching ms marvel on on disney plus which is yeah. outstanding yeah uh it, it might be my favorite marvel show oh, uh, but i've okay. also yeah I, I i absolutely adore it but one thing in the comics that uh, uh, Ka- uh kamala khan she can reach out she she basically almost has like a Mr. Fantastic, uh, like yeah. kind of power, yeah, you know, where she makes his, her hand really big or whatever and stretches uh-huh. it out. And it, it looks fine in the comics, but on the show, it would look really silly. So they kind of have reinterpreted that power to where it's more of a projection coming off of her, uh, that instead of like her actual hand getting yeah. big and rubbery. So it yeah. look it's more believable. It doesn't yeah. look quite as silly. Yeah. Something it, so. even more fantastic actually looks more realistic right yeah 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 exactly <laughs> or it's more believable yeah, yeah yeah it's we're able to yeah we're able to see that i guess taking something a little more iconic you know lets us disconnect from it while at the same time identifying with the character that's involved so we're yeah. able to you know make all that fit in our head and be like yeah i buy that but when you see reed richard's hand stretch across the it looks goofy lab yeah to grab a beaker like it just looks really silly and exactly same thing here with silic you know him going through vents or him him going through that vent and the and then they linger on the shot of his crotch (laughs) (laughs) like that's like the rest of them's in there and you get this you just get this last shot where his like he's got to get his gunk through uh and it's just (laughs) It's like just this big like moose knuckle uh, <laughs> trying to squeeze through that. <laughs> like guys, can we, we could have cut away. Uh, and, and that's the that's the most egregious shot that the, the yeah. one of him going through the vent. But him yeah. when he's fighting um, Archer when he looks like uh, the other guy. Yeah, when he looks like and Trip and when he looks okay. like Trip yeah. and then he like turns like all rubbery to get away from him. It looks like really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it looks it really does. bad. It, yeah. I, I mean, I admire them for their ambition, uh, but they honestly. When they created that character, they should have like considered uh, maybe we don't quite have the technology to do this on a television show budget, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, just yeah, it, it, it is a bit cringy, but you know, I will say in watching, you know, we, you mentioned some of the aerial shots of Enterprise doing its thing over New York, mm-hmm. like seeing it that first entrance into the into the atmosphere with the with the sun coming up. Yeah, I was like that's a really great shot. It yeah. looks very, very good. And then seeing like enterprise swoop by the, um, the Chrysler building yeah. while like shooting with, these while World shooting, War two era. Yeah. That that was the shot where I'm like, all right, this is pretty cool. This, this is, is, yeah, this is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I like that. Uh, but, but I mean, you can't really attribute those to digital versus 35 mil because mm. they're completely digital shots anyway, right. you know, right. uh, but, but the stuff like on earth, uh, looks pretty good you know it looks a little flat like tv always looks or at least tv from this era always looked you know tv now is basically long form movies most of it at least most of the big stuff yeah but back then uh, i mean it was shot they shot television shows a lot more flat and Mm. uh that's not really a complaint it's just the effect yeah that's how it was done yeah Yeah, the the uh you know still i mean it's paramount they're using the paramount backlot like those yeah. street corners should look very very familiar for, yes yeah for like star trek aficionados because they're they've been used a lot yeah uh but yeah how did you feel about some of the uh i mean we've we've talked about the the regular cast a little bit here and there but how did you feel about some of the uh some of the guest stars because we've got one we've already mentioned that uh your affinity for the hbo series we got somebody from sopranos Oh, is it one of the one of the um yeah um, one of the gangster guys whose yeah, name I can't uh, recall Steve, right now? Steven uh Shur Sharipa. He plays Carmine, but yeah. uh yeah, he's uh he's Bobby on uh on the Sopranos. Uh, what'd you how'd you feel about uh some of the new faces? I liked him. I especially liked 
uh, the girl, Alicia, was that her name? Alicia? I believe so. It's, uh, name? Yes. Alicia Tavers. Uh, played yeah. By Golden Brooks. Yeah. I liked, I liked her a lot. I liked the, the gangster guys both a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the guy who played the main villain, uh, even though I have no idea what he looks like because he's under, yeah, you know, he's under a lot of makeup. Buried under but, prosthetics. Uh, yeah. But I liked him, you know, I thought he was really good. And uh, what was his, Agent Daniels, those is his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the temporal agent guy. Yeah, yeah, I liked him, and I liked him more in makeup. I guess. Oh, okay. Um, that makeup. <laughs> that makeup is really good. Yeah, it's and wild. it's really good. Uh, and the makeup in general on this is really good. I mean, the makeup on Star Trek is always pretty good. Yeah, but uh, there's something really wild about his makeup, though. Uh, as he's, you know, like as he's laying there dying there in sick bay and like yeah. there's parts of him that are young there's parts of him that are old and it's, yeah it's very bizarre it's, it's really it's really cool I yeah think. it's very yeah. cool it reminds me a lot of some of the stuff from john carpenter's the thing yeah of just yeah. those wacky body contorted uh stuff and we saw some of that uh back earlier in season three where you know there there were distortions in the Delphic Expanse, and it would rip, they would ripple through the ship. But if you got caught, it would basically like stretch parts of your body, and that's where folks like Michael Westmore, who's uh, been doing uh, the bulk of the heavy lifting in terms of uh, the prosthetics for Enterprise, uh, we covered him a few a few episodes ago. But I highly recommend if you're if you're into prosthetics and creature effects and things like that. Really check out Michael Westmore and the Westmore family because they are legends of Hollywood Mm. creature effects and makeup techniques. Uh, I think uh, Michael was nominated for an Emmy for his stuff every year for like 30 years. I I may be getting some of some of those details wrong, but like he was consistently nominated for his work, which goes to show like, I mean, awards, you know, I, I, Justin has been very vocal on his thoughts about uh, certain awards, but like in terms not all of, like, of them, not in, all of them, in terms of like the technical stuff, like makeup, it's yeah. when you're consistently nominated that much, like there's something to it. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he's, he's done fantastic work and uh, yeah, that's been great. Well, we've already kind of, dipped our toe in let's just get into the meat and let's get into the our section that we've uh lovingly titled who do we blame <laughs> um this episode was written as i mentioned by manny Cotto. um his last writing on the show was season three episode 22 the council which we discussed with tj surgeon from verge games back on episode 67 uh for directing duties part one was directed by alan croker uh, and his last was season three, episode 24, Zero Hour, which we discussed last week with uh, J.P. Newton on episode 69. And nice. then, yeah. <laughs> and uh, part two was directed by David Strayton. Uh, and his last uh, directing was season three, episode nine, uh, North Star, the cowboy episode, which we discussed <laughs> with artist J. Chris Campbell back on episode 54. Did you did you happen to watch North Star? I don't think so. It, it really is. It really is a lot of fun. Just yeah. that whole the whole cowboy aesthetic, uh, you know, uh, the cowboy aesthetic is always played at least a small part in seemingly every version of Trek. And I mean, one- I like I always like when Trek does other time periods Mm -hmm. whether it be in the holodeck or a time travel thing like this you know i just think it's fun to see the juxtaposition of you know futuristic and and stuff in the past oh yeah like it's like like we were talking about with the enterprise fighting the the nazi planes or archer having a gunfight using his his phaser where everyone else has you know their little tommy guns yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) yeah it's so much fun i i really do enjoy the the clash yeah. of aesthetics of like and it's something it, star trek's really always done yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean everybody you know uh the I mean, episode of the okay corral yeah yeah i well i i think gene roddenberry you know was heavily involved in a lot of those early western epics before you know turning his focus towards sci-fi and of course yeah. a lot of the cast of you know the original series also took their turns on 
on Western serials. You know, it was yeah. it was a lot of fun. Those that period was a lot of fun. Uh, in terms of guest stars, uh, we already mentioned uh, J. Paul Bomer uh, last week as the SS agent, and then we've got some final appearances. We're sending a couple people off. John Fleck as Silic. Uh, yeah, the special effects of Silic do look very silly, but. His gravitas and that voice, uh, again, he's buried under prosthetics, but yeah. you kind of feel that menace uh, behind those eyes. Um, yeah, he's really good, I think. I, I don't love the design of that character. Uh, I think yeah. I may have mentioned that before because I feel like he's been around on the show for a while, but mm-hmm. I just I just don't really like the, I think the prosthetics are good. I just don't like the design of the character yeah. uh, in general, that, that like weird pockmarky looking. Yeah. Face. I was, I, just... I, I described it as Nickelodeon gack that you dropped in the sandbox. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he, this is his final appearance on enterprise. Uh, but more recently he's been doing some work on the Orville. So he's okay. got, He's got three episodes under his belt so far. Um, We look forward to seeing uh, what else he does in his career. Um, And then we've got another person we're sending off. We've already mentioned here uh, on the show, son of the legend, Mr. Matt Winston, son of Stan Winston, legendary. Oh, is he really? Yeah, that's that's Matt's Matt's his son uh, playing temporal agent Daniels. This is his final appearance on Enterprise. And he would go on to do a bunch more stuff in film, uh, kicking and screaming with Will Ferrell, Little Miss Sunshine uh, with, you know, a whole a whole big slew of stars in 2006. And then uh, I now, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry in 2007 with Sandler and Kevin James and Jessica Biel. I know you're a big Adam Sandler fan, right? Um, It depends on the era. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Early Sandler. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Late, late Sam Sandler. I mean, uncut gems and stuff like, I mean, uncut gems is incredible. His his dramatic work is pretty incredible. That's true. Uh, But but there's a whole middle period that I don't particularly care for. I did like Hubie Halloween though. Oh, (laughs) I I still need to watch that. I do recall seeing ads for that going, that might be, that might be okay. It's pretty fun. Uh, but Matt Winston also had a re- reoccurring role on Scrubs 2001 to 2009 as Dr. Jeffrey Stedman. He was kind of like the, the ass kisser to, to Bob Kelso, who was always following yeah. him around. Yeah. Okay. I can't Matt picture Winston. him on there, but I know the character. Huh. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he would actually reprise his role as Daniels for the video game Star Trek Online from 2010. Hmm. And he would also make an appearance in FDR American Badass in 2012 with Barry <laughs> Bostwick. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> FDR. It's called it's called FDR American Badass. It is called FDR American Badass with an exclamation point. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What in the world? And Barry Bostwick of Rocky Horror Picture Show fame. Yes. Playing playing Franklin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Roosevelt. <laughs> Roosevelt. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's one of the ones where it's like, okay. Let's have some friends over. Let's line up some, some shot is this, glasses. Is this like a, a Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter type situation? Yes, it is. Yes, it, <laughs> abs- it absolutely is. Where like FDR's wheelchair has like machine guns in the side. It okay. does. That's on the, the poster. Is it really? That is absolutely on the poster. And he's, I think he's got a Tommy gun with smoke coming out of the barrel and he's lighting a cigar off uh, of the barrel. Okay. Like, yeah. Now I want to watch this. <laughs> Honestly, I was just joking, but that actually sounds great. I mean, in a terrible way. Coming, but, coming yeah. soon to Cinema Shock, our <laughs> review of FDR, American Badass. <laughs> wow. And then uh, we've got, uh, we've already mentioned uh, Golden Brooks uh, playing the role of Alicia Tavers. Uh, her first cred was Adventures of Pete and Pete. Back oh, yeah. On Nickelodeon. Do you remember that show? Yeah, I loved it. I loved Pete and Pete back in the day. Oh, yeah. And then she would go on to do 35 episodes of something called Lynx, where she played a character named Cece Jennings. Uh, she, would, she would do uh, Imposter in 2001, based on the short story by Philip K. Dick. Uh, this is her only appearance in the franchise so far. So and she's still she's still cranking it out. So maybe maybe we'll see her again. Who knows? Uh, but she would go on to do 11 episodes of Heart of Dixie, six episodes of Ladies of the Law. All 172 episodes of Girlfriends from 2000 to 2020. Oh. And uh, her most recent is the BET Plus original movie Block Party, which is in theaters June 8th. Oh, wow. um, so it sounds like go- the, the Girlfriends was like her big. That was the big her one. big thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Every episode. Yeah. And then we've got uh, 
Christopher Neem as a German general. He's he's he as a as a stooge of the aliens in this episode. He still brought this really great menace to this to this German general, this uh, Nazi general. And uh, I, I was really fascinated to get into his uh, resume. His first credit was something called No Blade of Grass from 1970. And then he would go on to do 17 episodes of Colditz and uh, where he played Lieutenant Dick Player. And this is where we, <laughs> this is where we splice in Gary Horn saying, I'm something of a Dick Player myself. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad both of our brains went to the same <laughs> joke there. Exactly. Uh, He would also do 30 episodes of the soap days of our lives uh, playing a character named Dr. Vertigo. Yeah. Dr. (laughs) Vertigo. I'm like, Oh man, that must've been a very, I mean, mid eighties days of our lives. Oh, that must've been fun. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) 1989 was actually a big year for him in his career where he was in license to kill and ghostbusters too. Ah, the most underrated of James Bond's. Yes. Uh, I will, I will. I'm team D- Timothy Dalton all day long. I think oh, he got, yeah? I think he got, I think he got shorted on bond, man. I think his movies are pretty good. Yeah, he's good. I mean, even I, I struggle to think of a bad Timothy Dalton movie. Like he's, he's, he, I mean a bad, let me say a bad Timothy Dalton performance. Yeah. 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 Um, he's yeah. He consistently uh, swing for the swings for the fences and more often than not knocks it out of the park. He's, he's, he's really great. Uh, he also got uh, Christopher Neem also got some uh, comic book work in the early nineties on things like Superboy. The Flash, Human Target, and The Legend of Prince Valiant. And then he would make an appearance, 1991, Suburban Commando. Ah, uh, classic. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead meat, Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, alongside Hulk Hogan, Shelley Duvall, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Star Trek alum, Christopher Lloyd, yeah. and Larry Miller. I thought uh, you were going to say Star Trek alum, Larry Miller. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't, although... He would make a pretty great alien. I'm trying. I'm trying to. Th- he would probably. He would probably be a really great. Uh, like the doctor in this. Like whatever species that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Denobulin or maybe even a Ferengi. He seems yeah. like he could play like a real slimy uh, Ferengi kind of guy. Yeah, I yeah. dig that. <laughs> and uh, his first appearance in the franchise was actually Star Trek Voyager: Heroes and Demons in 1995. Nice. So this and- guy plays a lot of. Um- a lot of uh, military guys, it seems yeah. like. Or, yeah, or, I'm seeing yeah. a lot of lieutenants, a lot of, uh, yeah, yeah, well, He's yeah. got a look where commanders. And- even when I was watching it, I was like, this guy looks like he would probably get cast as like a Nazi a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He just looks like everyone who's ever been cast as a Nazi, like in an Indiana Jones movie, like looks like this guy. For you know? sure. Like trying to, and you know, even if you're trying to like, I imagine, I imagine at some point in his career, he went to his agent was like, Hey, can I play something? I know I can, but can you get me something where I'm not a Nazi? And then <laughs> like the very next thing is like a slew of like the mean football coach roles. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> And then we've got uh, Mr. Stephen R. Sharippa. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Sharippa as uh, Carmine. And uh, this is his only uh, appearance in the franchise. But he did this during his 53 episodes uh, of HBO's Sopranos, where he played Bobby. And then he would go on to do 110 of 121 episodes of The Secret Life of the American Teenager as Leo. And... 109 episodes of 255 and counting episodes of blue bloods available on paramount plus and um has do you know anyone who's ever watched an episode of blue bloods uh under the age of 65 no yeah blue bloods for blue hairs (laughs) yeah is what it is (laughs) i don't know anyone who's ever watched it who's not a grandparent (laughs) okay internet we need you to make that poster just Blue bloods for blue hairs. And uh, yeah, that's, oh, that's great. <laughs> and then we've got Mr. Thomas Wright as Gareth. Now, uh, may you might not recognize the name uh, Tom Wright, but uh, his first credit was Tomcats in 1976, uh, not to be confused with uh, the Jerry O'Connell Tomcats in the 90s. Uh, the Tomcats in 76 is much darker and much uh, sadder. <laughs> anyway, uh, he would go on to do 37 episodes of Search for Tomorrow from 82 to 83. 
and I'm going to get you sucker 1988 as Brian. Great, great movie. Yeah. Uh, wait, is he the Gareth? That's the care, the, the, the alien under the, that's wearing the Nazi uniform. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause I did, I know who Tom Wright is. Uh, he's, he's a big time. I mean, he's a, not not famous, but he's he's one of those character actors you yeah. see in a lot of things. Yeah, so. well, no character actors. Uh, that, but I had you know, no idea that was him. Oh he, yeah, yeah. He's in Dale's, uh, Tales from the Hood. Yeah, exactly. In fact, yeah, uh, yeah in the uh, in the nineties, he had quite a run of uh, pretty notable movies. Uh, well, we'll start with nineteen eighty nine, Heart of Dixie, where he was in that with Ali Sheedy, Virginia Madsen, Phoebe Cates, and Treat Williams. And then in nineteen ninety, he was in Marked for Death with. Uh, starring lawman Steven Seagal as Charles. And then yeah. uh, 1993, Weekend at Bernie's 2, where he played Charles. I didn't same, realize that. Same Weekend character. Bernie, yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that was a sequel. I didn't realize those two. No, this is, it's the Weekend at Bernie's cinematic universe. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> where somewhere off in the distance, Steven Seagal is. <laughs> I, never, I never thought about that. I get on the phone to my agent. Let me put hello hello oh this is a banana oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh but then uh 1995 he had forget paris with billy crystal tales from the hood with david yeah. greer and white man's burden with John oh, that fucking... <laughs> and harry belafonte i forgot that movie existed and i have to imagine it is uh not I for- these yeah i forgot about it too but it's, now i'm because it's like curious. john travolta it's like it's like in a world where white people are the minorities or something, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that I ooh. <laughs> I know. I, I I I remember when it came out. It was during that run where after John Travolta did Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. and then he did like um, Phenomenon mm-hmm. and Michael. Was that the one where he played the angel? Yeah, Michael? yeah, yeah. And then this was this was in that whole run in the like mid nineties post Pulp Fiction for Travolta, and <laughs> I remember it. I saw it. Uh, I don't remember if I liked it or not, but I remember seeing it. But uh, yeah, I have to imagine that probably wouldn't play too well in 2022. Yeah, I recall seeing I recall seeing it. It might have been on like one of those cable networks back in the day. I think I caught it again with commercial. If you've listened to Cinema Shock, most of the things that we talked about was like, Todd, did you watch this on television? (laughs) Yes, formatted (laughs) to fit my screen. You better believe it. Uh, But I think that's where I first saw it. And I thought it was interesting just because it was was played so it was played so straight i thought you know maybe look looking back on looking back on my memories of it i feel like it was trying to comment on the stereotypical presentations of race in media and yeah. then i think that's i think that's where i found uh my fascination for that but yeah 2022 yeah it's going to hit differently for sure i i am curious to revisit it just to see just how cringy it would be in 2022 yeah. but uh, I, I just yeah. i just looked it up on letterbox and it's got a whopping 2.2 rating on letterbox Ooh. and i'll be honest i don't think i realized that that, that was harry belafonte and i didn't maybe, either i, I remember when, john travolta but yeah, yeah i mean i think probably when i saw it when i was like 13 or whatever when it came out i didn't know who harry belafonte was yeah yeah <laughs> Wow. But then uh, Tom Wright would also go and do uh, four episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, and then he would make his first appearance in the franchise on Star Trek Voyager. And oh. if you're thinking, uh, I'm not sure who that is. Well, he was in the episode called Tuvix, playing the role of Tuvix. So wow. if Star Trek fans who uh, fall on one side of the fence or the other with the character of Tuvix, that's Tom Wright, and uh, he's got a really fascinating career. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, as we mentioned, you know, uh, executive producers Berman and Braga really took a step back after after this uh, after this two parter and put Manny Cotto as the new showrunner for Enterprise. And um, in terms of uh, production, we've got a couple notes here. An area of the Paramount backlot was dressed to appear as the exterior areas of Nazi-occupied New York City. And this included a reproduction of a boxing poster. You can kind of see it in the back, uh, one particular shot, uh, that was previously shown in the original series episode, City on the Edge of Forever, kind of a legendary TOS episode, uh, as well as a number of uh, references to the production crew. Uh, a couple of locations which had appeared uh, before in the franchise were shown, including a street corner shown in the Enterprise episode Carpenter Street, the Next Gen episode Times Arrow, 
and the Voyager episode 1159. Furthermore, a bus stop from Voyager's non sequitur was also reused. Hmm. Most of the filming for the second half of the episode wasn't on the standing set. Scenes were shot elsewhere, including an on-site shooting at Griffith Park, which had previously been used in the Voyager episode Future's End. I always loved when they actually took the crew to an exterior location. Yeah, Even you don't if it get was, it a whole lot. Yeah, not all the time, but a couple of, you know, parks, uh, you know, that have some wooded areas or the uh, the stones where um, that that one park where Kirk fought the Gorn. I forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. But yeah, I mean, people still go there in costume and take pictures <laughs> and the whole thing. Yeah, I, that's definitely on my bucket list to, yeah. to go in costume and, and take a picture. As the Gorn? Uh, well, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll make my wife play the Gorn. <laughs> She'd be the most adorable little Gorn. <laughs> you guys can wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Charlie McCollum for the Knight Rider newspapers said that the first half fell flat on promises made to rejuvenate the series, adding that Stormfront represented a confusing premise, flat production, and recycled stories. I think you mentioned the flat production, at least the look of some of the shots there, Justin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jammer's reviews gave both parts a 2.5 out of 4, uh, citing that the episodes inherit so much nonsensical time travel baggage from previous episodes uh, that the premise is all but indefensible. And ultimately, the episode breaks down the entire temporal war uh, to a single battle in Earth's past. And that removes... Uh, excuse me, that revolves around a single sci-fi MacGuffin, the conduit that the Nazis are building. And we never actually find out what that's for or why. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like stuff in this that's not properly uh, um, explained. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like, it, I mean, if you, God, this, this would make Gary's brain explode with all the uh, the time travel <laughs> stuff because their yeah. their reasoning for how it all gets fixed magically at the end does not hold water like it doesn't make any sense yeah at all from from any kind of like and i'm not a stickler for time travel stuff at all i i don't care about paradoxes and stuff unless it's just inherently like very blatantly like they didn't care right you know and and here i don't know that they did care because they're trying to explain it in in a very strange way um yeah and i don't understand how really the enterprise got back to where to like their own time and like yeah. it, it's never really explained at yeah. all yeah if they, if daniels is able to bring them back back to the future uh yeah. so easily why you know why why, why couldn't they have just handled it yeah <laughs> let's it, let's send these inept astronauts from a thousand years in our past yeah. to handle something even farther in the past <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, Michelle, Michelle Erica Green of Trek Nation described the first part as thoroughly entertaining, but was uneasy that the series was producing something so irrelevant. Uh, she found the episodes were a refreshing change from the Zindi arc in the third season. And then Green also said that the second part inherited the same issues from past episodes, but that the opening was strong with the fake newsreel footage of Adolf Hitler arriving in New York City. Uh, what did you, how did you feel I, about that? I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> yeah. dope. And I thought it was I mean, pretty good. There were a couple of instances where it was like, okay, they're just, you know, they're forced, gump, they're, they're forced gumping it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. But, but I don't know. It was, I, it was pretty neat. It was, I was definitely not expecting it. Yeah, yeah. And we've, we've joked uh, back and forth a little bit in text. And then before we started rolling about the, uh, you know, the silly uh, theme song, you know, that is, Man, I, I started watching this today and <laughs> Bunny peeks in and she's like, is that the Star Trek song? It's like, <laughs> like, yes, unfortunately it is. This is the Star Trek song. She could not believe that they had used a song like that for, yeah. for a Star Trek series. <laughs> oh, yeah. And well, you know, it was funny because I've I've talked about how I really wish because it's so jarring to go from that pretty cool newsreel yeah, into, into the opening theme. I was, and I've <laughs> said this a couple of times throughout the show or throughout Enterprise that I kind of wish if you were going to change the theme song 
from season one and two to season three and four, just go ahead and change it to fit the tone of each individual episode so that it's you, you may uh, that, that might be cost prohibitive though. might be know. cost prohibitive, but you know, there's other times like uh, the episode that starts with um, what we are led to believe is trips funeral. Yeah. I, I said they should have eliminated the song altogether and just had the title on a black card. I mean, shows have done that before that yeah. even had theme songs, although theme songs, even in 2004, were already kind of passe. Like yeah. a lot of shows were, were like Lost literally just had Wham. And the, you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all you needed. You don't need a whole long theme song, especially one as long as this one. We don't need the whole damn song. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, like we, we really don't need that much. But I guess they thought that, hey, all the other Star Trek shows have had you know, a full song where we get all the credits and, you know, right. during the theme song that they had to do that, but it's really not necessary. Do the new Trek shows have theme songs? Uh, yes, they have gone back to more uh, just stylized visuals and uh, orchestral and orchestral music, but it's really, I think they've really dialed in sort of the energy of the narrative and the energy from the music matching. Yeah, yeah, and I think it really pumps up uh, where everything is. Even even stuff that's supposed to be funny, like Lower Decks, they play it in a way where it is very high energy, but the com- the com- the comedy of the overall series is still conveyed through what you're seeing on screen. Yeah. And I don't know, it's really well done. And well, I, I texted you and Gary today when I was watching it, <laughs> saying that the the fact that Paramount Plus doesn't have a skip credits option on it like like every other streaming service has yeah. to allow me to skip that because by when i was on the second episode i was like i gotta i gotta listen to this again like, like why, why yeah. am i uh, i mean there are some shows you don't want to skip the credits peacemaker for instance i'm never gonna skip those credits they're the greatest <laughs> opening credits of all time nice. but if it's something that like like i don't need to watch this every time you know especially if you're on a streaming service give me a skip credits option yeah yeah know? That's we've we've gone this far in technology. Can you can you help us out, please? I mean, the technology <laughs> exists because every other streamer has it, other than Paramount Plus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> IGN gave the first half of Stormfront three out of ten. That's not, not good. Not great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adding that the first episode suffered from a lack of pace and described it as awful. The second episode was rated four out of 10, not much better, and mm-hmm. called thin on plot. But Kodo was actually praised for killing off long-term pain silic, adding that the Suluban <laughs> were still the worst aliens ever created for the Star Trek franchise. Wow, that's uh, savage. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty rough. Uh, and then uh, they closed on hope that uh, with some of the conceptual flotsam flushed away, Kodo may actually have a chance to give enterprise a decent final run before it's inevitable and grisly. end. so <laughs> sort um, of like, like painfully hopeful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, a couple of things about that one. I, I do think that the, as far as from a design standpoint, standpoint, I already mentioned that Silic, I think is, it's a really bad design. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that's the, the, the design of the look of the makeup and the design of the effect of you know him changing it's uh, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so I see where I honestly see where they're coming from saying that they were still the worst aliens ever created because it it's not a very I, it's, there's nothing iconic about the look like so many yeah. Trek all, all the best Trek aliens have a, a like iconic look the Ferengi the Klingons the you know the uh, the Romulans the Vulcans they all yeah. have a very specific the Borg um, sure you know but also. They mentioned in the first one a lack of pace, and that was actually an issue that I had with these episodes. I enjoyed okay. actually. I thought these were fine overall. They were better than some of the other Enterprise stuff that I've watched, but I do think the pacing was pretty off. I think they were they were slower paced than they needed to be. Yeah. It almost felt like it almost felt like they this could have been one episode mm. and moved yeah. at a moving at a faster clip. It felt like they were stringing it along to make it a, a big two episode premiere kind of thing yeah when that what when i don't really think there was enough story to warrant that mm. i think i think they could have fit in all the plot points and made it a much quicker and and more enjoyable watch if it had like had had the the fast pace that it needed because it is kind of a countdown you know the plot is that the so you want the audience to feel like we're in a hurry to get there because we're we're on a time crunch kind of thing right. 
Uh, and you never really felt that in this. Yeah. It, never, it never felt as urgent as the story explained that it needed to be. Yeah. I mean, and it was, it was kind of funny as I was watching part two, you know, we, we, we both praised the, you know, shots of the enterprise flying over New York, fighting off the, the, you know, the period accurate uh, fighters and stuff like that. But at the same time, I was like, it's enterprise. And these are little planes. Like there's not a huge challenge there. We, yeah, yeah. In season three, we should be pretty easy. (laughs) Yeah. It should be pretty easy. And we've seen, especially in season three, there's one shot where enterprise is devastated and does one of those like, off of his axis, like floating dead in space. And I actually noted on the episode that it was incredibly unsettling to see yeah. Enterprise just floating dead in space. So yeah. I was like, that's not supposed to happen. Right. <laughs> um, in 2014, Playboy.com ranked this episode 470 out of 695 Star Trek episodes and said that the temporal Cold War storyline was worn out. And this all feels like a step backwards. I remember reading that article on Playboy.com. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Every every guy absolutely read that article (laughs) for sure. Uh, (laughs) In 2018, uh, CBR rated Stormfront as the 17th best multi-part episode of Star Trek. They also Mm -hmm. ranked this 15th in the top 20 time travel themed episodes of all Star Trek series. I Um, mean, what was number one? I wonder. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I didn't, <laughs> I need to see that list for sure. Uh, but, you know, Ronald B. Moore, Daniel Curry, and David Takamura. Not Ronald D. Moore. No, not Ronald D. Moore. Ronald B. Moore. <laughs> Ronald B. Moore. Uh, <laughs> they won the award for best visual effects in a broadcast series at the Visual Effects Society Awards in 2004 for their work on part two of Stormfront. So cool. congratulations. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all people taking a dump on these. Yeah. <laughs> There's some people who liked at least parts of them. <laughs> so uh, we get to the question here, Justin Bishop, this is the first time I'm actually going to get to ask you this. Is this essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down and watching Star Trek in chronological order, hopefully along with computer resume podcast, uh, and they come to this episode is this essential viewing? Is this essential for the narrative? Is this essential for any particular uh, character development? Is this essential viewing? Um, I didn't see anything essential as far as character development goes, uh, because for one, this is basically the Archer show. Like none of the other cast members really get to do a whole lot, even though they're on the enterprise, they're still looking for Archer or they're, you know, like everything kind of everything revolves around him. Some of the, you know, Hoshi barely gets a line. In the yeah. whole episode, yeah, you know, true. <laughs> uh, like m- most of them don't get to do a whole lot. So it's and and Archer is kind of the same guy he's always been, I guess, you know, which you know, so it's I would not I would say from a character standpoint, no. But I think from a plot standpoint, if you're watching all of Star Trek in chronological order and, and you're including Enterprise in that, then from a plot standpoint, I think you have to watch this because it I mean, and, and this is coming from someone who hasn't watched any of the temporal Cold War stuff, but this seems like a real uh, like culmination of a lot of stuff that you have to have kind of the ending. And yeah. Silic is, you know, the end of the Silic character, and he's been around for a long time. And uh, there, it, it feels like it's a, even though it's a season premiere, it feels like the end of a larger arc in the story that if you didn't have it you'd be missing a big chunk of the story yeah i absolutely agree i think you know last week in talking with uh jp uh i was saying that you know you could actually if you had to stop watching enterprise you could do it last week but honestly i think you could actually count this as your stopping point especially with how it ends with them arriving back at earth yeah the zindi war is over temporal cold war is done and not only are they being welcomed back to earth by starfleet but a whole host of other ships um it really does feel like a series finale and that really does yeah yeah it really does it's it's kind of a bizarre choice for your season premiere to start (laughs) that way you know i think think it was kind of a and i mean this is i'm you know i'm speculating wildly here but it really kind of feels like berman and braga looking at Manny Cotto and just giving him the finger of just like, all right, let's see what you can do with this. Yeah. <laughs> have, have fun with season four. Like <laughs> it, it almost feels like that should have been the end of season three, just yeah. in case they didn't get renewed for season four. And, exactly. it, and it was still would have come to a somewhat satisfying conclusion. 
Yeah, I wonder if there was maybe some sort of behind the scenes deal of like, hey, look, it's not going well. We're going to pull the plug and like, hey, look, we've actually got we're going to be wrapping up some stuff. And I tell you what, if you'll keep it on, bring on another showrunner. In fact, we've got this great kid, Manny Cotto. He's done some wonderful things writing for us. Put him as showrunner and we'll we'll step back. I wonder if that if I wonder if that was a discussion, because, I mean, stranger things have happened, you know, in, in terms of production. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, any final thoughts, uh, anything we didn't discuss? We actually covered this pretty well. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, I uh, you know, for someone who was, hasn't been watching any of the temporal Cold War stuff, I felt a little lost as far as that goes. But in doing a little bit of reading coming into this, it seems to me from reading some reviews and stuff like I read the Jammers reviews and you know, a couple other ones. It seems like the temporal Cold War stuff wasn't fleshed out as well as it should have been anyway. So I feel like yeah. I didn't really, I didn't really miss a whole lot. I like, yeah. even though I felt a little bit lost as far as that goes, it feels like everyone felt a little bit lost because it wasn't like so, a solid enough storyline. Better, you know? better, better in concept than execution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the yeah. gist I got from it. Uh, but the episode itself, you know, like I said, I think it's better than most of the other stuff I've watched on, on enterprise. Uh, I do like, the serialization of of star or the idea of serializing star trek some mm-hmm. uh some of you know some of the best episodes of star trek overall the entire franchise have been multi-part episodes yeah. which are essentially small serialized you know two or three parters yeah. uh because there's you know some stories are hard to fit in one one yeah. you know 43 minute episode exactly uh, so i i admire their their ambition even if the execution like i said i feel like this could have been a one-part episode but it you know it's still the culmination of a larger arc and it makes me very curious where it goes next because it does feel like the end of a story and we've still got like 20 more episodes of the season right yeah <laughs> so. yeah we've got a lot left actually yeah. uh we're going to be covering enterprise for the remainder of 2022 and uh, yeah we've got a bunch of We've got a bunch of things coming up. Uh, we've got some familiar faces from other versions of Trek uh, mm-hmm. going to make an appearance. We've also got uh, at least one uh, glimpse of the TOS era uh, in store for, for season four. So well, I, one of my guesses when I was watching this is that they're, they're not going to just never mess with the timey-wimey stuff again. You know, it right. feels like that's been a pretty essential piece of what Enterprise has become. So it would be weird to drop it completely for the rest of the final season. Kind of yeah, thing, you know? yeah, I think so. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, uh, the remains of season four and how things shape up. Not only... I like that you, re- of- you refer to it as the remains, as if it is a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, may, it might it's have dead, been unconscious, just, but you're just, not wrong. Just dead on arrival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, folks, next week we will be joined by my new friend, award-winning web series creator and star Matt Jennings for Enterprise Season 4, Episode 3, Home, which, of course, is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hey, Justin, aren't you on a podcast or something? I am on a podcast. It's called <laughs> it's called Cinema Shock. Uh, it's uh, it's me. It's uh, my buddy Gary Horn and our uh, occasional special guest, Mister Todd A. Davis. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Me, me, and Todd have a podcast with our buddy Gary where we talk about. Uh, basically we take deep dives into the creation of cult movies and genre movies. The ones that we're doing right now, we're doing a James Cameron series. Very few of those could be considered cult movies. Although I have a pretty broad uh, definition of what makes a cult movie, which I'm sure people will argue with, but uh, we we basically will do, you know, for listeners of yours who have never listened to cinema shock, which you should, uh, we, we uh, will usually focus on a filmmaker or their career or a segment of their career and each episode focuses on a specific movie within that career and, you know, kind of in chronological order as they came out. And we talk uh, pretty in depth about the production of the movies, uh, as well as, you know, the director's life as it pertains to their work. 
uh, not necessarily gossipy stuff, just stuff that, you know, is, is interesting and, and kind of works it into the narrative of, of their filmmaking career. So, yeah, we've done, um, man, we're what, we're almost two years in September will be two years of cinema shock. Wow. Yeah. So, or the first, first week of September will be two years. We started it in September, 2020, uh, the middle of of the pandemic, you know? Uh, so yeah, we're doing James Cameron right now. We're covering everything from Terminator to Avatar, except for the documentaries, uh, so they're really fun. They're very long episodes this season or a season, the series, uh, because, you know, it's James Cameron. So why not be obnoxiously long winded? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. And uh, where can we where can people find the show and where can people bother you on the Internet? Well, the show you can find on all the usual podcast places, wherever you're listening to Computer Resume. You can find Cinema Shock. Or you can also find it at cinemashock.net. Uh, the Podcast is on Twitter and Instagram at cinema underscore shock. We're on Facebook and all that stuff. Cinemashock.net also has links to like our, we've got a discord channel and we've got merch and all that other stuff. You can find all that there. And me personally, I am uh, at Justin underscore Bishop on Twitter and Instagram. And I am on Letterboxd where I blog or keep, you know, little diary entries of the movies that I've been watching, which uh, have been increasingly weirder here lately that's just what i've been into really weird little low budget uh exploitation movies lately and it's been yeah. fun so and nice. also you know like richard linklater movies and stuff <laughs> for some reason that's what i've been into lately nice and i am at mr todd a davis on all of the socials from all of us at the computer resume podcast thank you so much for listening i'll see you in ted board Like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We've probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?